Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. Uh, today, it is just Jack and I, and we have no guests. So, you guys get to listen to our lovely voices um, willingly, because you willingly click this podcast, um, and it didn't have a clickbaity title because it never does for some reason and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah who's making who's making these episodes we need a new uh clickbait expert yeah we need a new producer <laughs> uh, yeah we're here we're uh here we're ready to what is it mid-april and garrick are you gonna be racing a triathlon again at some point this is a real question that is a real question today i ran 40 minutes straight so it's, it's looking good that's looking solid. I mean, looking good. If you're Jason West, you're already almost done your 18k run split. So, <laughs> yeah, getting there. So, but I am not Jason West, uh, and there's um a lot of evidence to back that claim. Yeah, you're so much faster at running. All right, so we wanted to start today with uh an idea inspired by Ari Clow, who's been on this podcast before. Because Garrick saw one of his reels about his swimming. And Garrick, what did that sort of inspire you to talk about today on the podcast? So, yeah, I guess we're going to jump right into it um, because we don't have Nick here to go on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. We love Nick's tangents. Sometimes it's hard to, like, bring color to the episode when we don't have Nick. Uh, So hopefully we bring some here. But, yeah, going back. So Ari posted a video. He posted a before uh, and after video, I guess. He posted a video of him like a couple years ago, maybe last year, uh, swimming. And he's swimming like 120 per 100 yards to him sprinting now at 100 or a minute per 100 yards. Uh, and there's one thing he touched upon, and that's like robotic swimming. And that's something that we see that's like very, very common uh, from swimmers. And going from robotic swimming to like a rhythm swimming tends to be one of the breakthroughs that a lot of people have when they get into swimming. And that robotic swimming, like it's it, it's kind of a natural progression. A lot of people get there because they get in the water and they're told all this stuff on what's proper stroke mechanics, right? So you're thinking about all of that stuff while you're swimming. And it's like, well, how do we put that together? When do we put that together? And then on top of that, there's people who perhaps had a rhythm based swimming at one point, and then they went to a new swim coach and maybe they're approaching uh, the swim a little wrong. And this is something that we see very commonly is that they we get DPS focused swimming rather than um, like pull swimming. So people are counting strokes and it's not always bad to count strokes because if you can swim across the pool at the same speed with less strokes you're more efficient but people don't come at it from that way a lot of times they think well i just need to take less strokes so what they're doing is they're consciously thinking okay i need an early vertical forearm my hand needs to be here and i need to only swim this much i need to only you know get 14 strokes across the pool well what they're doing is instead of pulling through the water hard, they're kicking to drive their body to their hand. And that's when you get a slow robotic 
stroke as well. And that seems to be the most common thing. So when some, once someone is like, you're like, Hey, now you need to just pull hard in the water. You need to pull more water. Then we start to see the rhythm going. And if you look at some of the top swimmers in, in the world, so triathlon, especially, and especially open water swimmers, they're, they don't have, they're not swimming that Sun Yang perfect stroke mechanics, but they have a really good rhythm and they can just fly through the water. Uh, Jack, yeah. What we got? yeah. Yeah. I, I agree for sure. I think to your first point, when people are kind of new or they're learning a new stroke, it's not ingrained and it's not um, intuitive. So they're thinking through each step and you're not putting them together smoothly. You're just sort of like pull, rotate, breathe. And it just isn't quite smooth. And probably at the very beginning of like a new stroke mechanic, that might be fine, but definitely getting that rhythm and that sort of synchronization of the pull with the rotation and kick at the proper time, that's all coordinated to where you're producing the power. It's basically producing like a high amount of power at the right time in the pull to propel you through the water. And it's not easy to do. And, you know, it's, and then you also want to maintain that force through the water as long as you can to maintain sort of that propulsive phase. Um, so that's kind of hard to do for anyone. Like it takes years for most people to get there and a lot of people never do, but also it's uh, you need to have that smooth rhythm in order to do that, especially with the rotation and the pull being in a good timing. Um, so that's probably what Ari's getting to now where, he is looking a lot smoother and um, his strokes looking pretty good now. Be interesting to see if he's able to kind of translate that to some faster swimming. But he even mentioned like the swim is probably always going to be his weakness. Um, just, you know, and it's just a matter of minimizing sort of losses and getting to the best point you can. And we see that with a lot of people like, you know, Lionel's had a long career and he's always had, it's always been his weakness and, um, it's sometimes it is just about making your weakness, not as much of a weakness. And that's fine. Like for me, it's a weakness too. And it's just trying to make it not as much of a weakness, but I haven't swim pretty decently lately. I swam, swim, not bad in, uh, Oceanside. So we'll see if I'm able to continue that trajectory and kind of swim even better at St. George, but the, the pool swimming is coming along pretty well. So I'm a little bit optimistic that I'll have a good swim there. All about you, Jackson. It always has to come back to Jackson, eh? That's for sure. Yeah. But no, you, honestly, though, like, <laughs> let's let's talk about like let's talk about how this relates to your journey in swimming. Just this year, like you were struggling. You came back. You had took a break for like a couple weeks. You know, went on a vacation, and you came back, and all of a sudden, you're swimming terribly. Um, yeah. You kind of re went through this journey. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're kind of on the other side and you're building momentum. Yeah. So I, I really have always been, um, sort of of the belief that like, you don't want a super long or slow stroke rate. So what I've ended up doing is like kind of adopting a very high stroke rate, but it got to a point somewhere along the way, I guess recently where I wasn't really finishing my stroke and I was just losing that momentum in, in the like powerful part of the pull when you're rotating, I wasn't finishing that pull to where I was actually gaining that propulsion. So I would start pulling my hand out of the water early and I just wasn't getting the benefit from that powerful rotation and pull phase. Um, so that was really causing me to 
you know, just missed that opportunity. And it, it was apparent in workouts. Like I was, you know, I was just swimming so much slower than like Cody and Taylor and normally were like similar. And I was just like way behind. And if I did keep up, it was like a massive effort. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? So went to super league, had a really bad swim and then sort of did some stroke analysis after and figured this whole thing out about not, you know, finishing my stroke enough. And ever since I kind of focused on that and like getting a good pull where it's probably not like full stroke finish to where you have that perfectly straight arm coming out at your, you know, mid thigh, but I'm getting a lot better propulsion and using my rotation better with that uh, last part of the pull. So I've just been swimming. I've been back to what I, you know, was. And so I'm in a good start point, but I was able to bring it around just in time for Oceanside to swim pretty well. But yeah, I think it was only swimming with decent form probably for three weeks, four weeks before that race. Um, so I do think like that trajectory is still helping, but it just goes to show like you can, you got to keep up with these things because if you don't, you know, if you get slower all of a sudden in the swim, but your fitness is good and you're biking and running really well and you've been swimming enough there, your form could, you know, take a hit and it, it can happen. Also you get like, you know, if you're tight and you're not rotating properly or, you know, there's a lot of things that can affect this a little bit more in depth with your form compared to just biking and running, which usually your form doesn't change quite as much. So sometimes you do need to just take a look at it or have someone look at your stroke and be like, what's going on here? Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's good for a new person to take a look at your stroke and not just you. Cause you can hyper fixate on, on certain things. Um, like this happens to me at, at work all the time. Like I'll be um, aligning a device on someone and I'm looking at gate and sometimes I can hyper fixate on a couple aspects of that gate. And then uh, another clinician can come in and they'll be like, Oh, well, what about this? Right. You're thinking about this. And it's just like something that you had to like take a step back to look at. And that's the same thing that happens with swimming um, and your stroke. You can hyper fixate on a couple things and totally miss something else that might not be a huge thing because usually you can pick up a big thing but like little things and especially now that we're we've we've been swimming for how many years have been swimming for now jack like 12 15 years yeah like i guess i swam on the high school team a couple times a week training so that would have been i was 15 years old then so yeah coming up to 15 years now yeah um so there's always you know changes and new things um and you're always ebbing and flowing in your speed it's not a straight trajectory so all right so that's enough swimming talk for now um i know people love it when we talk about swimming and same instagram people just love swimming for some reason i think it is because it is the most seems like the most difficult one Uh, and it's the hardest to get footage of it because you're not usually allowed to get footage at pools so yeah people are craving it that's true um, oh, one thing that we should probably say, like, how do you fix that and gain rhythm? Um, there's a couple ways to do it. First thing is to just do it. And because uh, a lot yeah, of people it. think it's true. A lot of people think there's some secret sauce to swimming, but there's really like there is, but there isn't like there's no magic drill or anything that's going to make you so much faster. Sometimes it's like you need to know what you're doing wrong and just do it. Uh, and another way that could that I found that does help some people um is 
always using a band when you have a pull boy and because that really forces you to pull through the water yeah the the band with the pull boy is a good one for sure and it helps it makes you learn to rotate efficiently too so um yeah i agree with that nailed it awesome all right so now we're actually going to move on so we're coming into since the spring people are just starting to get outside uh a a lot of people are actually just starting to train now because the weather's nice and they have some summer races they want to do out of the winter. Um, so we're going to go through, but like some group, uh, different types of athletes and, uh, we're going to generalize athletes and pigeonhole them into separate groups because that's never gone wrong ever. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> Segregation is the key, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way, everyone. <laughs> 100% a joke. Guys. That was sarcastic. Um, so I think people who listen to our podcast are starting to catch on to sarcasm. So hopefully you I'm don't getting more and more worried these days, though, because like, oh, man, you just get someone who takes a soundbite and then they just like ruin your life. I know. I know. Um, it's very easy for that to do. And yeah. Uh, so for let's start. Um with the new athlete. So this is someone who springtime is here and they're like, I didn't do much during the winter. I kind of want to get a little fit. And I think I'm going to do a triathlon. Uh, <laughs> so they probably so let's have... say they're doing their first triathlon in June, probably right. If they're jumping in. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, they could be, so this person could be, you know, really anybody it could be a college student to, uh, just, uh, a mom who's like, I really, you know, I want to do something for myself and this is something for some me time. Uh, they probably have a hand-me-down road bike or a hand-me-down tri bike, or it's just something they dusted off in their shed. They're doing a try try. Uh, so yeah, they're looking to do a sprint Olympic or try try distance. They didn't train over the winter. Um, they may have done one of the sports in high school and that's where they, gain the confidence to do something crazy like a triathlon i feel like i've heard this story before <laughs> this is a great this is a great group of people um okay so what are we saying what to what to do for training yeah like what what would be their best bang for their buck that they can go upgrade whether it's training or equipment or anything like that definitely training because if they weren't training at all then starting doing some training would be good i think yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, my suggestion would be to go online, find something that has, um, you know, I don't have anything off the top of my head right now, but there are certain places where you can get access to just like a basic training plan. Um, and that gives you some guide and so that you're not just like completely blind. And um, that's probably pretty good, honestly, yeah, for yeah. people who don't want to like that aren't in it to like try to go to Kona or something just yet if they're just like all right let's go to a triathlon what do I do it's probably going to get them you know 90% of the benefit they would get from like hiring a private coach because if you're pretty new you're going to get a ton of benefit from training as long as you're doing a decent ratio of the three sports you know at least trying to get a couple one to two workouts for each a week uh, the one thing I would say though is make sure that you're competent in the swim to where you know you can do the distance and definitely try to get yourself into some open water and get used to that because that's the one thing where safety can be an issue so that's 
always the first thing I would suggest is make sure you're comfortable there. Um, just for, you know, your own, uh, you know, peace of mind when you're going into the race. Yeah. Wetsuit, you can get a, probably a pretty basic wetsuit or you don't need one. Like you can do them without wetsuits. Like at the beginning of triathlon, people were really not wearing what, like probably when do you think the wetsuit became a thing that people did? I bet you there's a few years where nobody even wore them. Yeah, well, Quintana Roo came out with the first triathlon wetsuit, right? And I think, oh, people are going to get so mad at us for being, they're going to call us young bucks, but I'm pretty sure it came out like late 80s, maybe Man, mid-80s. People who listen to this podcast, we have way more triathlon experience than the average one. That's got to be true. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's some know, people, there's some people, I want to hear actually, who's, who's like the listener who's done the try like did a triathlon the longest ago who's the most veteran triathlete that listens to our podcast mike hey he doesn't listen to our podcast yeah but if if i don't know i would I, yeah he probably doesn't know how to listen to the podcast <laughs> no he does He's, yeah i don't know though but anyways yeah go get your basic gear get your basic training plan make sure you know how to do the swim without freaking out or without having a heart attack those two things are important and maybe, yeah, if you're getting into it at an older age, might be a decent idea to go to a doctor and be like, hey, just so you know, I'm doing this, you know, should we check my heart or something? Probably good, good call. Yeah, that's not a bad call. But these guys, like, they just want to complete a sprint. Like, that's, you know, complete the race is is a big thing for them. Um, so I think, yeah, investing time uh, to go to the pool and swim and get comfortable and then a wetsuit um, is probably your biggest bang for your buck too, right? So, yeah. And then go and buy your Jack Root tri suit. <laughs> the sleeveless. Yeah. The sleeveless is pretty cheap. We've got our store open. Hey. Yeah. In all seriousness, any any tri suit, two piece, whatever, is gonna do. Yeah, that's and, actually uh, what you call it. Try like get yourself a pair of tri shorts because you can train in those and you can race in those. Um and that used to be like all I owned the first like two years. I would just be like, I'm gonna do my bike ride in my tri shorts. Yeah. <laughs> And I would only bike like 20K, so it was fine. Yeah, yeah. I know. I remember those days doing that too. All right. Um, okay, so, so now for, for who's the next level? Like an age grouper who's trying to qualify for like age group worlds or some worlds or something? Are you're we too quickly? You're getting way ahead of yourself. Now, um, I would so that's gonna be the elite age groupers. For this one, I am calling this the lifetime athletes. Um, this is the heart and soul of our sport. Um, they do. So these guys might want to, you know, qualify for Kona, um, 70.3 worlds, but they love age group worlds, the world triathlon sprint and Olympic distance age group worlds. They, these are across all ages. So college athletes up into, you know, seventies and they're not looking to become professionals. Their priority is in the experience over the performance. Oh, yeah. But again, not to say that they don't have some aspect of performance goals. They're the outdoor warrior type. So this is the guy in the middle of winter who is like, you know what? I'm going outside because it's only negative five degrees out and the roads are clear. (laughs) Sounds like optimal conditions. Yeah. They, (laughs) you know, they... They also, they're not, they haven't um, 
totally negated equipment. They've invested in their equipment, but they use their equipment to its life end. So like this is the guy that has a pair of zips from 10 years ago that he's still using. He might have acquired a road bike and a tri bike at some point, but they're both probably about five to 10 years old. Nice. Uh, still on like that, the old school trainer. It might even be a compu trainer. Either way, it is uh, not direct drive. Uh, and it's probably, it's definitely not a smart trainer. They might have a power meter. It's probably single sided. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, single sided. Yeah. All right. So, what, how, how do these people focus for the spring? Um, yeah. So, also, I would say a lot of these people do have a coach. Um, and, yeah. They're probably low volume most of the year, but then they build up um, and they, they probably have do have some big weeks in there, too. This is definitely my dad. 100 <laughs> percent. This is who I was thinking of when I wrote this. 100 <laughs> percent. Although he has pretty new gear, though, so he doesn't fall into that category. Yeah, but we know like there's, you know, he has new gear for now. <laughs> for now. Yeah. You know, he just got so he has the new tri bike, a new uh, he got the new road bike. He always just, yeah, he's been, he's been getting the gear going, but yeah. he didn't swim. He didn't swim for a couple months in the winter. So he's getting it together now though. I might as well just use my dad as the example. And he's got a uh, 70.3 coming up in June. Yep. So that's like one of the big ones. And then age group worlds is his big goal. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're right. But yeah, definitely getting, getting the mileage starting to build up now because you want to, if you have big races in June, you want to start you know, trying to get a little bit more volume in, in the last six weeks, eight weeks of your training. This is like when I used to, you know, a couple years, this is like when I would start training kind of, and I'd be like, yeah. let's train hard until the race. <laughs> but, uh, always would do bricks and stuff. What do you think about bricks? You think that's a good thing? I think bricks are a good thing. Brick intervals, um, I think can be a good thing, but I I'm kind of over those. Yeah. So like a bike then run. So yeah, I agree. I, I also think that they're not something I would, I, I know I don't do them frequently uh, in my training, but I don't know if like hard biking to running is something that should be as part of a weekly plan. Um, Kind of getting off track here, but this could be for anyone. I think it's a great thing to do for specificity as a race comes close. Maybe in the last few weeks, you do one a week or something. Um, But yeah, I think, to get the better quality of training, it's, it's usually best to separate them. Yeah. But sometimes like time efficiently, time efficiency, it's good. Cause you can get a hard bike and a hard run in, in, in one day. And then for sure. Like if you don't have time to do two hard bikes and two hard runs a week, maybe you do one of each and a brick. Yeah. And if that, if that fits your schedule better, for sure, it's better. Um, but yeah. Okay. So what do you think for this? Let's call them heart and soul age grouper. Um, what should they be focusing on right now? Um, so for upgrades, I would say replace your darn race tires because you've probably been on the same race tires for about three years now. Mm. Um, you know, tubeless two is faster. I mean, tubeless is testing fastest now. And if you're just using it for the race and you get someone who knows how to set that up, you should be able to run that set of tires for a couple years. And, um, you just have to top up the sealant, replace the sealant every, you know, six months or something like that. But what tires do you use? I use the GP 5,000 TRs, um, to 
the GP 5000 S TR. And that's the like tubeless ready one. And then they just came out with their new tubeless one. That's the GP 5000 S TT, which is a little bit more of a fast tire, um, like a little bit lower rolling resistance, but a tiny bit less puncture protection. So if you want a good all around tire, probably the STR version might be the way to go. I was on the Vittorias. Yep. Um, that don't have that much puncture protection. The course of something. Yeah. Were they, were they tubes, latex tubes? No, it was the tubeless ones with the tan tan wall. Oh, okay. Yeah. So tubeless or latex tube is both yeah. probably pretty good options. At the very least, if you're not running latex tubes, just buy a set of latex tubes for like 40 bucks and it's going to save you and take your take your butyl tubes out and put the latex tubes in and it's going to save you like several watts per tire. That's the cheapest thing you can do that saves time for sure, no matter what. And they're actually quite durable. Um, people think that they're lower, they have a higher chance of flats, but it's just not the case. As long as you put it in properly and you don't like get any, uh, grime in the tire that could cut the tire, it actually has a higher, um, ability to stretch. So if you hit like a really hard bump, it's less likely to puncture. Yeah. Uh, another thing I would say, and this is maybe a little more of an investment, but I would say maybe it's time to invest in a new trainer. Uh, they're starting the direct drive trainers are starting to become a lot more affordable, like new Zwift ones, like 500 bucks that in terms of performance wise is probably going to be the best, your best bang for your buck, because you probably hate your life in the winter and you're training a lot less because of that, or your, the quality of your bike workouts are significantly worse. Um, and direct drive is just key. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's a game changer. Um, I know you've been, they've probably been holding off on this, but I'm like, you know what? Just find the 500 bucks, do the upgrade. Trust me, you'll never look back. And um, you might even start enjoying riding indoors and that's going to spike your performance. So one little anecdote I'll say in indoor riding is I kind of just somehow realized this recently, but the, more proportion of my training I've done indoors on the bike, the better I ride in races. And if I look back for years, it's been mostly true. A lot of my best riding has been early season. I used to start riding exclusively outside starting in like May or something like that. And then I wouldn't bike quite as well later in the season. And then, you know, the next season would come along and I'd bike a lot better early season. But the reason I figured this out was because last year I raced super late in the year in December and I started riding on the trainer only again in like October. And I rode super, super well uh, in those December races. But also last season in general, I had a big improvement in my cycling. And I was like, what was different? Well, last year was the first year where I started making sure I was doing trainer workouts all year long, every single week. Even on the nicest weeks, I would have at least one workout a week on the trainer. And then I would do the other one outside. So um i think it's i think you just can't beat the quality of training um when you're training on the trainer and so i'm going to be training probably two-thirds to three-quarters of my workouts even in the summer i'm going to be doing on the trainer yeah i plan on doing at least two hard rides a week well, i only do two hard, hard rides a week but this this summer i totally agree with you 
two hard rides a week on the trainer and then one long ride outside. Um, yep. that's just base miles, four to five hours. So yeah, four to five hour base ride plus two hard workouts. You must be doing an iron man. <laughs> one of these days I must be not running very much. Yeah, true. But you're level 60 on Zwift. So that's a cool thing. I am. And I even got the kit to prove it, but they made yeah. this, the frick, the kits, they made them look like the bumblebee kits. So nobody knows. Yeah. Sixty. I thought you just had the bumblebee kit on. I was like, why is where Garrick wearing the bumblebee kit? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I agree with that for upgrade. Um, and, uh, you know, anything else is going to be pretty expensive. If you don't have an arrow helmet yet, what are you doing? But yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think you should invest in tucking your head because these guys have the worst arrow positions. That's true. Yeah. Most, most mid pack kind of, you know, everyday age groupers have bad arrow positions, but you know what? One tip to help with that, I think is if, if you have arrow bar extensions that can tip up, it actually, and having your hands a little bit higher that angle actually allows your shoulders to relax into a position where your head gets lower. So it has multiple benefits more so than just, you know, your hands kind of blocking some of that wind that's going to come around your body. Um, but yeah, arrow position. That's one thing right there that people could really benefit from is just trying to, and you know, not everyone get to a wind tunnel and stuff, but if you just look at your position and then you look at the position of like the pros and the people or even the the fast, super fast age groupers who have kind of invested some time into figuring that out. You can just sort of eye, eyeball it and make your position a little bit better, um, maybe with the help of a coach or a friend or something and work towards having that position that looks more similar to the people who've done the wind tunnel and those sorts of things. Because it does it, there's not that much differences between people for almost everyone putting your hands up a little bit higher, tucking your head down lower, that's always going to help. Um, so exactly. that's something that you could probably do without actually having to spend the thousands of dollars to test it. Exactly. I saw a video of um, a couple guys riding and they had, they're like, oh, first 100K outside. And they're super excited to be out riding. And they're like going from the, 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 the bullhorns into the arrow bars and their head position doesn't move. Yeah, it stays in the same spot, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it, honestly, a lot of people have bikes that don't fit them, which doesn't help. Um, but, you know, even within the equipment that you have, usually there's lots that can be done to improve that. So maybe yeah. sometime we can have an episode just on, like, aerodynamics and sort of different equipment and that kind of stuff. But it's a whole yeah. can of worms that you can... Actually, yeah. we, we have a potential guest lined up that's going to be able to talk about that stuff. So stay yeah. tuned for that. So we'll get there. And um, so the reason that we really hung out on this group of people is because this is basically 80% of triathletes, right? Uh, live the freaking, in the category. So. And they're like the people that are, like you said, they're like the lifeblood of the sport. Like they're the people you could talk to forever about triathlon. They're doing it for years. We love you guys, and that's half, That's most of you guys, so we appreciate you. And uh, even if we poke fun here and there, age groupers are, like, the best thing to ever happen to triathlon because there's no sport without you guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so I have the next group of people, and uh, calling these guys the triathlon execs because 
So like executives, triathlon executives, these guys are performance oriented. Um, they pretty much have the best equipment. They train early in the morning or late at night. You know, they probably do most of the riding on a trainer. Um, like I said, they have the best of the best across everything. Their main focus is probably that full distance. They only race once or twice a year. And um, they're also a lot of the year, they're probably on a low volume plan and then ramp it up come race season um, or stay on a low volume plan. And um, they're just naturally good and high achievers and somehow, and they perform really well. This might be a tough one. What First you thing you're going to want to do is go to the RTS Jackers store, buy the entire store. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. On to the next one. <laughs> The NV wheels, you're gonna to want to get a set of those. Make sure. Uh, no, but yeah, that's. I mean, how do you how do you upgrade your gear when you got it all right? I mean, I think. Well, one thing that a lot of a lot of people who have the best equipment don't do is have a pristine drivetrain that's perfectly clean for every race, and a new chain and a new cassette, and make sure your chain rings aren't worn down. All that stuff ma matters. Like literally more than what your frame looks like so that's one thing that that could be like people the worst thing you can do is be like go buy the perfect ceramic speed or whatever brand and the perfect race chain and stuff but then not maintain any of it because if it's not in perfect perfect or working order and cleanliness it's just not going to be fast yeah and uh if you're at an ironman race you can go to the ceramic speed um tent at the expo and they will fully kit you out right there <laughs> there you go they better clean the drivetrain while they do it yeah um i'm not sure i've i just know you can do that i don't know how they do it i'm sure they they do um for the low low price of whatever what would that be like i don't know like five grand or something for full ceramic speed everything i don't know it's not cheap um like if you get like bottom bracket, pulley wheels. We're not sponsored by ceramic speed, by the way. We're not. Um you go chain. Yeah. Yeah. The chains aren't ridiculous. No, the, the chains, chains aren't bad. A couple hundred bucks probably, but yeah, the bottom brackets and the pulley wheels and the over yeah, oversize, all that stuff's yeah. pretty expensive. Yeah, I'd say, um, yeah. So change out your chain for a race, you know. Uh one other thing I would invest in is maybe do two more local races every year uh shorter distances just so you get that like repetition of racing and i know time constraint is probably a big thing but if you can sneak away um, do it as your weekend training exactly it's uh yeah. and it's fun every time i do a local race which isn't that much anymore but every time i've done one the last few years you just like have such a good time you talk to people and you know they appreciate like the sport and it's it's cool because you also meet all these people who are like that was my first triathlon ever it was crazy man i thought i wasn't even gonna finish the swim and then i was like stumbling everywhere getting out of the water and then i was like got a flat tire had to fix it it was freaking crazy and those <laughs> people are awesome like it's just so much fun yeah so i would say do that and you can share some of your wisdom like if you're a veteran in the sport you know people you're probably going to be super fast and people are going to be like holy crap how this age group person just ride like 35 plus k an hour that's insane um so there you go yeah you can feel like a bit of a pro amongst amongst the locals yeah 
And um, okay, real quick, I don't know why I didn't have this written down, but uh, one other group that almost combines both would be like the older, um, not looking to get their pro card, but elite age grouper. Um, I don't know if we really need to explain what that is. Like these are the guys that jump into that elite category. Um, they have decent equipment, not not always at the top top end. They train quite a bit, um, but they also love the sport. They're lifers, but they They're also fast. have some top equipment and they prioritize uh, their training pretty well. I don't know. Um, some of those age groupers train a ton, man, like over 20 yeah. hours a week. It's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I guess maybe don't try to qualify – for Ironman Worlds, if you're a male and you don't want to do it in Nice this year, <laughs> <laughs> wait for that. Wait for that different. Uh, what what would the cutoff be for age group? Probably in July, they're gonna switch over to Kona qualifying again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would say similar to the triathlon exact. I would say optimize your drivetrain with tires, the, um, tires, and yeah. Dialing the arrow position, you can, you know, save a few watts there for sure. Yeah. And get on the trainer once a week, year round. Yeah, I agree with that. You just can't beat the interval workouts on the trainer. I don't think we're going to stop our uh, Monday, Thursdays whiff group that we've got going. It's been no. too, too awesome. Dude, it's been nuts. So we have this group going. Another side note. So we have this group going. We do like these three hours whiff rides. Like the main sets are usually like three hours and uh, two and a half to three hours. And normalized power for me has always been over 280. Last week was 295 or 293. Uh, yeah, they've been tough rides. It's fun. We just, a yeah. group of us just smash each other. And we were doing flat courses only, but we started mixing in some hills and then that's been more fun. Yeah. Fun <laughs> <comes> back. <laughs> But yeah, no, we got a group of, I think there's about 14 people total. And then, you, but usually only like three to five people end up making it. So if he, if that's another thing, like frick, get some training partners. Like if you can find people on Zwift that you want to, or whatever you're doing for virtual training to, to keep you accountable. And just like, it just makes you work harder and it feels easier. It's kind of hard to imagine, but it just, if you're not doing it, you got to try it. And lots of teams have their group rides and stuff on Swift going, and that definitely uh, is something a lot of people are doing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next one is the elite development athlete. So this athlete has one bike. So either they're draft legal, they got a road bike or a TT bike, um, or they've got one really good bike and they've somehow acquired another one that they, that they just do on the side. Um, they're hyper usually younger yeah they're they're younger they make the commitment to go to training camps um they've you know they've saved up they've invested in that direct drive trainer they've probably bought into riding on the trainer um they you know they don't have the top end of everything but they're they're pretty close um and they really want to make it to the next level uh jack we've been here yeah sorry i just distracted for a moment um yes that was me for a while a few years yeah 
Um, how do they make that to the next level? Can equipment changes help that? Again, I would, I, I would, a lot of these points are going to be the same of like that trainer is going to be your friend for building bike fitness, I think. And maybe getting the draft drive trainer if you don't have one, they probably would though. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've like I said, they, they made the, that investment. Um, yeah. They do that. They've taken the time and investment to uh, go to training camps. Right. If they're in university. Um, their grades sometimes suffer due yeah. to training or due to being driven back from a training camp, taking longer than it should have. Yeah. Making a detour uh, in Chicago, Chicago on the way back to Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. So Something like that. Yeah. I would say definitely getting some good role models, like whether you train with them all the time or like you said, training camps, people who are experienced um, athletes that are willing to kind of share what they've learned and sort of, a lot of the time newer pros and elite development athletes are like really fast. It could still um, definitely do workouts with like developed pros. Um, so I think that, I think that can just help the development process where people sort of, you know, they get to share like, Hey, you know, here's some mistakes I made. Maybe don't maybe try not to try to avoid those. Right. Yeah. Um, so that can be key training camps. They can definitely be good. Also, they can be expensive. So you have to sort of budget that along with like, what can you afford to go to for races and stuff? So yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the kind of training camp I, side of things? Um, I mean, yeah, training camps, I think this depends who's at the camp that matters. For me, it was always awesome going to camps um, who had either, who were run by either past elite athletes or there were elite athletes there. Or it was just a bunch of us in like, it was like the tri-Ontario group, um, a bunch of us kind of in the same boat. And that really formed me as an athlete. And I think having James at training camp, who would always be like, I don't, I don't care that you're tired. You're supposed to be tired. Just do it. Like, <laughs> just like no mercy yeah. realize that like, okay, this is like, get the work done. Um, yeah. yeah. And it can help with motivation big time. Like they're, they're great. Um, but yeah, for sure the one thing that like a lot of people seem to take a long time to figure out is those little things we've talked about, like with the, making your drivetrain efficient, getting your aero position efficient, making sure you have a good helmet that fits with your position and potentially even investing in like, you know, there's some like virtual wind tunnel stuff that's a little bit cheaper or um, you can do testing without necessarily having to like go to a wind tunnel. Um, like some people will do like trials on a similar piece of road at a set power output and see like what different pieces of equipment might make a difference, but doing those little things, right. It actually matters quite a lot. And, and a lot of people kind of say, Oh, I don't need to do that because I'm not at the level yet where that matters. Well, it can matter like 10 Watts. Like if you're saving 10 Watts, that's like how much training do you have to get to get 10 Watts better? Um, it's quite a lot. So at least make sure you're doing the basic stuff right there so you're not you know further behind where you want to be than you need to be so you can actually see this is how much i need to improve and you're not just you know unaware of what the difference actually is because your equipment and your you know efficiency is so much worse yeah um and so to build off of that because we've been doing a lot of bike talking but i would say find yourself a good swim squad swim with people Um, yeah that would be great. And then, and then now's the time to really focus on your nutrition because 
if you're just getting into the sport, don't wait too long to get into nutrition because then all of a sudden your performance is going to be hindered by you not taking in enough nutrition, not eating enough. This is the category where we see this the most when guys are trying yeah. to get to that next level and they're not eating enough. Um, and it's really yeah. hindering their performance. They're uh, either getting injured or they're just not recovering from the training and getting the benefit. Like it's just, it's a tough one to understand, but like you really got to, you got to eat a crazy amount to have enough energy. And even, even to this day, like if there's, if I'm just not feeling quite right or as good as I should more often than not, it's just like, I didn't take in enough calories. Maybe the previous day, if it was like a big training day and I didn't catch up enough or something like that. And it's almost always, it's literally almost always correlated with that. And I talk about that with Cody Taylor too. Like, you know, you you're never going to be perfect but if you're hitting those macronutrients as much as as best you can and you're most of the time getting it right that's going to be like the biggest thing for your improvement like eric said like it's critical um yeah and, and you don't uh, want to get stress fractures so that sucks yeah so um yeah what about running shoes we haven't even talked about those oh yeah um that is a great point we missed that on uh, basically all of them. So the lifetime athletes go back to that. They probably bought a pair of carbon shoes three years ago and they're still using them. Go buy a new pair. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are, you can get marked down now that they've released so many like newer versions, but like the fast, any of the, like whatever brand name ones, well, not any of them, but let's say the first version of the next percents or something like that are still really dang fast shoes. And if you can find them on sale, um, go for it. But um yeah most that's that's definitely something that helps i think every group maybe not the person who's doing their first triathlon needs to invest in that but yeah you know it's going to make every anybody run faster um so it's worth it and there's so many options so many options now um yeah actually good shoes that there's really it's not one brand anymore so just go out there find a pair that fit and make sure you get them because you have to be on them now like there's no yeah found it you have to do it um and if you can get to the point where you have an old pair of shoes you know where you can cycle through to where they're not quite dead but like not good enough for racing and you can start training in them um that is good too i know there are differing opinions on that but i'm saying if you can train more without getting injured it's worth it yeah no, for sure. No, I agree with that. I'm actually going to start doing a little bit more in some carbon shoes, mostly because I have about 10 pairs just sitting around that have like 100K on them. And I haven't used them. And so I need to take advantage of that. Yeah, my, my whole basement is full of them. And Morgan pointed at them like yesterday and she was like, what are you doing with those? And I was like, they're good. Just keep them. Did I? Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruz on a one-man mission trying to see it through.